Hello, and welcome to the Preview Spotlight, a comic book page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be spotlighting items from the current month's previews catalog. This is Preview Spotlight number 182 for the January 2023 solicitations. In this episode, we'll be going over some of the items in the upcoming solicitations that you might find interesting. Now, comics are a pre-order business, so whether we like it or not, it behooves us to take a look at what's going to be offered a couple of months out and let our retailers know so they can order appropriately. Now, these episodes have an open submission policy, and I encourage you to send in clips to promote the comics you love as often as you can. Now, there are thousands of items solicited every month, and it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle. Or just fly beneath your radar. We'll be starting with the DC Connect catalog, followed by the Marvel's Previews catalog, and then working our way through the Diamond Previews catalog. Obviously, we aren't going to go item by item, or page by page, or even publisher by publisher. We're just going to hit the highlights, and those highlights are picked by people like you. So with that, let's get going. My first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. I find these incredibly helpful to find out what's coming out a few months from now and kind of plan my order appropriately. Sometimes there's stuff that sounds good on paper, but I look at the art or something about the solicitation doesn't work for me, or there's something that I wouldn't have noticed unless, you know, the art had caught my eye or the solicitation looks pretty cool or something like that. Matter of fact, there have been a couple of times where I'll see something and realize I missed the first two issues or something like that, and and go order them. So just flipping through these catalogs is kind of my monthly equivalent of the old Sears Toys catalog when I was a kid of, you know, finding out what cool things were out there to be had, and then making sure I got them as, as best I could. So whether you get the printed catalogs or not, this information is available online at the various websites for the distributors and the publishers and such. Comics are a pre-order business. It makes sense to know what's coming out so you can let your retailer know so they can have it so you can get it. So once again, my first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. Hi, I'm Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, and I go by Superman Fan on the forums. My first DC pick is on page 4 with Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number 1 of a 6-issue miniseries, written by Tom Taylor, art and cover by Clayton Henry, and that's the cover I'm getting. Variant covers are by Zoo Orzu, Rafael Sarmento, Yasmin Flores Montanez, A.L. Kaplan, Clayton Henry, and Megan Huang. There is also a 1 in 25 variant cover by Jordi Tarragona. A 1 in 50 foil variant cover by Clayton Henry, a 1 in 100 design variant spot gloss cover by Dan Mora, and a Shazam Fury of the Gods movie variant cover by Lee Weeks. The cover price is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the variant covers are $4.99, and is scheduled to go on sale March 7th. Another Superman has fallen. Across the multiverse, Kal-El's are being murdered. Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing, Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of the Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, 
the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. And Val Zod is not acting alone in trying to save the Superman. Who is the mysterious woman alongside him, and what is her shocking connection to the Super Family? The one part of John Kent's story that I am not crazy about is the fact that for being such a young boy, he was tortured by Ultraman on Earth 3. It's surprising that having gone through such trauma that he hasn't shown any side effects from it. And the cover shows John Kent as becoming kind of the electric Superman, electric blue Superman, like his father years ago. Now, to be perfectly honest, I was not a big fan of the original Electric Blue Superman storyline decades ago in the 90s, I believe. But since John Kent is such a new character, I'm a little more open to seeing his powers transform to be more like the Electric Blue Superman. Plus, I like the Superman of Earth 2, who is a black man and was... I'm sure inspired by former President Barack Obama when he was in office. So it seems like DC Comics really has some interesting storylines planned for us in 2023. Hey, this is James here, and I'm recording for the March 2023 solicits. As I'm recording this, the Marvel's previews, like digitally you can find it, but it never shipped you know, to the, the retailers. So I don't have a Marvel's preview. So I went straight to DC Connect, and I might be just skipping any Marvel shout-outs this month. I like going through the catalog. I hate going through those online solicits. So we're going to try and just do some DC stuff and then some other stuff from the main previews catalog. But in DC Connect, the first thing I wanted to give a shout-out to is on page four, where it's a new number one, but it's essentially a continuation. It's the Adventures of Superman John Kent. And we were reading Son of Kal-El, and that was Tom Taylor. That's who the writer is on this. It's Tom Taylor, and the artist is Clayton Henry. So I basically, they just did a renumbering of it because Superman is back. So Superman, instead of having Superman, Son of Kal-El, you're going to have the Adventures of Superman John Kent. Probably wasn't doing too well in the sales category. So this one, it says, Another Superman Has Fallen. Now, it's it, over here on the left, it says the rematch of Super. Sentry is here, John Kent versus Ultraman. And I'm like, Ultraman? Like, I, I automatically thought of Ultraman, like, from the Japanese TV show. I'm like, when did that happen? <laughs> I'm assuming a lot of this stuff's spilling out of the Lazarus Planet, which I did skip. I'm picking up the first volume, like, the Alpha for Lazarus Planet, and then I'm picking up the last issue. I might be picking up that little spinoff, like, something about the gods in the Lazarus Planet, but the main story I just kind of skipped. It looked like something that I wouldn't be into. I think Tom Taylor's a good writer. I like John Kent. I think DC made a mistake by aging up John Kent when he went off planet. He was a boy. He was there with Damien. He seemed to be a little bit younger than Damien. Damien was a little bit older than him. They take him off planet. He comes back. He's essentially in the comics now. I I don't know if they've said his actual age, but he, he went from being like, I don't know, a 10-year-old to like an 18-year-old. And so we missed out on all that development of the stories and everything like that which is kind of sad but i do like the character john kent i am on board for this i have no idea why on the cover he has blue lightning shooting out of his chest my guess it's something to do with lazarus planet and something that i may not like but i'm going to read this and check it out and the solicit says across the multiverse kal-el's 
Kal-El's multiples are being murdered. Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing. Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of the Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. Oh, that's who Ultraman was. Yeah, yeah, the one who kidnapped him for years. You know, when you hear Ultraman, you automatically think of the silver guy in the suit from the Japanese things, but I forgot his name was Ultraman, the guy who kidnapped him. And Valzad is not acting alone in trying to save the Superman. Who is the mysterious woman alongside him, and what is her shocking connection to the Super family? My guess is it's something not that shocking. But I want to point this out. It's a new jumping on point. It's probably a horrible jumping on point since it's tying into stuff that happened years ago, but eh, there it is. On to my next pick. Billy Hogan again. My next pick from DC Comics is on page 6 with Superman number 2. Written by Joshua Williamson and art and cover by Jamal Campbell and that's the cover I'll be getting. Variant covers are by Tony S. Daniel, Gabriel Rodriguez, John Boy Myers, and Nathan Zerdi. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Juanio Lopez. A 1 in 50 variant cover by Raza. A 1 in 100 foil variant cover by Jamal Campbell. And the cover price is $4.99 for 32 pages and $5.99 for the cardstock variant covers. This issue is scheduled to go on sale March 21st. Night of the Parasite. Superman is overwhelmed as Parasite's new powers are unleashed. Can Superman stop all of Metropolis from being consumed by the power-hungry Parasite? Or will he need Lex Luthor's help to save the day? Introducing a new anti-hero, Marilyn Moonlight, the spirit of Metropolis, who only operates at night. Is she friend or foe to the Man of Steel? And how does she connect to Metropolis's secret past? After Lex Luthor and Brainiac, I would put Parasite as one of Superman's most challenging villains. And this storyline looks very promising for next year. Billy Hogan again. My next pick is on the very next page, number 7, with Action Comics number 1053. Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Dan Jurgens, and Lee Williams. Art by Rafa Sandoval, Lee Weeks, and Marguerite Sauvage. Cover by Steve Beach, and this is the one I'll be getting. A variant cover is by Rafa Sandoval, and also another one by Lee Weeks. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Nathan Zerdi. A 1 in 50 Voile variant cover by Steve Beach. As well as a Shazam! Fury of the Gods movie variant cover by Lucio Perillo. The cover price for the regular edition is $4.99 for 48 pages and $5.99 for the cardstock variant covers, and is scheduled to go on sale March 28th. No living thing supposed to have powers like this. No matter how blue your eyes are or how pretty your face is, you're just as much a monster as me. War rages on between Metropolis's two men of steel, Superman and Metallo. As Metallo's new body continues to evolve in unexpected and nightmarish ways, the voice of his operating system, quote-unquote, has been changing too, testing the limits of his sanity. Finally, when his alien tech takes on a life of its own and infects the most violent members of the Blue Earth movement, the resultant abomination target Superman's greatest strength and greatest weakness, his family, introducing the first appearance of the Necrohive. Metallo ranks up there with Parasite 
as being among Superman's greatest challenges as far as villains go, and it looks like another exciting story for 2023. Billy Hogan again. My next DC pick is on the very next page, number 8, with Superman Lost, number 1 of a 10-issue miniseries. Written by Christopher Priest, with art and cover by Carlo Pagulayan, and I hope I pronounced that name right, and Jason Paz. Variant covers by Joe Quesada and Lee Weeks. A 1 in 25 black and white variant cover by Joe Quesada. A 1 in 50 foil variant cover by Carlo Pagulayan and Jason Paz. The cover price for the regular edition is $4.99 for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant covers are $5.99, and is scheduled to go on sale March 14th. Superman's Odyssey of Solitude After Superman is called away on a routine Justice League mission, Lois Lane awakens to find a complete stranger standing in her living room. The Man of Steel, home much sooner than expected, reveals he has in fact been lost in space for 20 years. Nothing and no one seem familiar to him anymore, and the timeless bond between them has been severed. Or has it? Can love conquer all? Superman's 85th anniversary celebration continues with this all-new blockbuster 10-issue series from the creators of the Eisner-nominated Deathstroke series, and it comes with a page of full-color interior art. This story almost feels like the classic imaginary stories that were common in the 1960s when I first started reading comic books, and it looks like a very interesting premise. With all these great storylines, 2023 promises to be even more of a fun year for Superman stories than this year was. This is Nick with a pick from the DC Connect catalog. This time from page 8, it's Superman Lost number 1. Written by Christopher Priest, with art and a cover here by Carlo Pagulian and Jason Paz. And uh, here's what it describes in the solicitation. Superman's Odyssey of Solitude. After Superman is called away on routine Justice League mission, Lois Lane awakens to find a complete stranger standing in her living room. The Man of Steel, home much sooner than expected, reveals he has, in fact, been lost in space for 20 years. Nothing and no one seem familiar to him anymore, and the timeless bond between them has been severed. Or has it? Can love conquer all? Superman's 85th anniversary celebration continues with this all-new blockbuster 10-issue series from the creators of the Eisner-nominated Deathstroke series. This is set to go on sale March 14th, 2023. As it mentioned, it's part one of 10. $4.99 for 32 pages. And there is a little bit of preview art here that you might be able to take a look at. And I I think we're probably mostly all familiar with how Christopher Priest does his story. So if that's something you do appreciate, I would say definitely check this out. If his storytelling style kind of grates you on you a little bit, eh, probably a good one to skip. Hey, this is James back with another pick in the DC Connect, and this time I'm over on page 12. Um, John and I talked about this when we were recorded one time about you know picking up an issue or two from a, a 12-part maxi series or something. I don't even know if you would call this Max series, but I'm, I'm talking about the One Bad Day series. Batman, One Bad Day. This one's Ra's al Ghul, 
number one. They were all number ones. I read the Penguin number one. It was excellent. I didn't pick up the first one because it's Tom King. I skipped the majority of them. So I literally picked up the Penguin, and I'm thinking about picking up this one. And I think I pre-ordered one other one. And, and that's it. So I'm getting three out of the 12 or however many there were. Now, the reason why I'm picking up this one, I do like the character Rachel Ghoul. But the writer on this, I really like. It's Tom Taylor as the writer. The art, I really like. Ivan Rice and Danny Mickey. Ivan Rice, I like a little bit more than Danny Mickey, but I like both of them. And these are one-shots. So the One Bad Day are kind of like, I don't know, they, 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 they build it as the ultimate story for these bad guys, for the rogues. And I, I wouldn't say they're the ultimate story, but the first one I read by with the Penguin was actually pretty darn good. It was written very well. So let me tell you what this one says. Why won't Batman save the world? Well, because then comics would end, and comics are continually going, so he will never save the world. That was my answer. <laughs> Not what the solicit says. For centuries, Rachel Ghoul has wanted to save the Earth from the worst of humankind, and for centuries he's, he has failed. Recently, the greatest obstacle has been the Dark Knight detective Batman. Rache offered Batman a chance to be a part of the New World Order, but Batman refused. For years, their cold war has raged, but Rache will have no more. Rache is will remove Batman from the equation and save the world, recreating it in his image and bringing the peace and prosperity and all the good-hearted souls of, of this earth deserve. I think it sounds pretty good. I'm, I'm back in rage on this one because Batman's been saving the day and everything keeps getting worse and darker. All right. It says, don't miss the epic tragedy from all-star creative team Tom Taylor. And we know that. And Ivan Rice. So, and it's the one bad day specials. I actually debated would I pick up a collection of the One Bad Day stuff. I, I, I really don't know, but it depends on what these other two stories that I'm getting, this one I'm going to pre-order. If they're good, I would consider picking it up a collection and just reading it, but I'm not completely sold on it. I would say it's not required reading. Also, people may debate me on that, but I don't think it is required reading. It's a really good story about this character. So I'm definitely getting this, and then on to my next pick. This is Nick with a pick from page 17 of the DC Connect catalog. It's Multiversity. Harley screws up the DCU number one. This looks like it's uh, number one of six for sale on March 14th, 2023. $4.99, 32 pages. Written by Frank Thierry and art by Logan Ferber. It says Harley's back in Coney for a long overdue reunion with old friends. Old haunts and an old time machine? You heard right, a mysterious benefactor has left Harley a time machine, and after giving it about a half a second of thought, she decides to take it for a joyride. What could go wrong, right? Funny you should ask. It turns out, a quick trip through time can screw up a few things, namely, the entire DC universe. So if you're like the goofy side of Harley Quinn, this looks like it's going to be a promising run through the DC universe as she messes up all kinds of stuff. So check it out in this upcoming March. This is Nick with another pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time page 20. This is one of their Dawn of DC titles that was revealed uh, recently. It is Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one for $3.99, 32 pages. This is part one of six. So it's a mini series and They've got a little tagline here that does say, spinning from the pages of Lazarus Planet. I believe I remember seeing it mentioned somewhere in one of the solicitations about uh, somehow the Lazarus explosion or whatever reactivating the Doom Patrol, something, something, something. But either way, this looks like it's going to be 
Just a brief little drop in, see what the Doom Patrol's up to. It says after the events of Lazarus Planet, more people than ever have active metagenes. Most of these new metahumans have become misfits, shunned and imprisoned by a fearful society. They are hidden away in the dark, lost to a system that only sees them as weapons or guinea pigs, ticking time bombs that can only be diffused by the unstoppable Doom Patrol. Robot Man, Elasta Woman, and Negative Man are joined by their brand new teammates Beast Girl and Degenerate, led by Crazy Jane's mysterious new alter, the Chief, on a mission of saving the world by saving the monsters. Again, this sounds like kind of standard Doom Patrol stuff, but it's nice to see this return after a couple of years away. Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the previews spotlight episode. It's unstoppable. Doom Patrol, number one. As the solicitation text st- clearly states in DC Connect, this new Doom Patrol series is spinning out of the pages of Lazarus Planet, DC's newest event for 2023. Now, it has been a while since we've gotten any sort of Doom Patrol miniseries or ongoing series. The last one was the 2019 series that was part of the Young Animal imprint written by Gerard Way. The lineup for Unstoppable Doom Patrol features Cliff Steele, Elastawoman, Negative Man, Jane manifesting a new persona, and a couple of new characters. So if you are coming to the Doom Patrol from Outside of the comics, i.e. you found the the characters through the television show, in many ways, you will probably see some similarities with this particular lineup. Now, based on the solicitation text, the Doom Patrol, or excuse me, the unstoppable Doom Patrol will be hunting down and saving monsters that are, of course, a result of Lazarus planet. I'm really happy that the solicitation text doesn't provide too much spoilery information as it relates to Lazarus planet because that is just kicking off as of this recording. The creative team for Unstoppable Doom Patrol is Den- is writer Dennis Culver. Dennis Culver was one of the co-writers of Justice League Incarnate with Joshua Williamson. The art is being provided by Chris Burnham. Chris Burnham, many years ago at this point, uh, worked with Grant Morrison on Batman and Robin. He kind of, in my mind, evokes kind of this Frank Quietly kind of style. I see a little a bit of Nick Darrington. Nick Darrington was one of the artists on the young animal version of Doom Patrol. I think that it, you know, it's super heroic, but at the same time, there's some shades of vertigo, which I, I think is wonderful because Doom Patrol at its heart, at its core, it's these strange misfit characters. They're not quite your traditional spandex-clad superheroes. So the artwork should evoke a little bit of weirdness and wackiness and so forth. Now, this is just a six-issue miniseries, but, you know, hopefully 
sales will warrant either additional miniseries or perhaps this series will be extended. If you are a fan of Doom Patrol, it doesn't come around that often. I myself, you know, I, back in the day, I wasn't really that big on Doom Patrol. I've warmed up to the Doom Patrol probably maybe in the last 10 to 15 years. Certainly have read some of the older material from from the 80s. A little bit of the Grant Morrison stuff. Haven't quite finished getting through uh, Grant Morrison's large run on Doom Patrol. Gotta gotta be in the right headspace for that. I was a really big fan of the Keith Giffen written era of Doom Patrol that occurred right before the New 52. And then I was also a big fan of the Young Animal stuff. I I feel like that kind of uh, got off track due to delays and, of course, the limited number of issues that we ultimately got over the course of two series. But again, if you're a Doom Patrol fan, definitely pick this up. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one can be found on page 20 of DC Connect and costs $3.99 for a regular cover. This is Nick with a pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time page 23. It's one of their seasonal one-shot issues, so uh, this one is an 80-page one-shot, prestige format, $9.99. DC's Legion of Bloom. Number one, a whole passel of writers here, Ashley Allen, Julio Anta, Calvin Kasulke, Travis Moore, Kenny Porter, Kevin Scott, and Zach Thompson. Art by Isaac Goodhart, Brian Lovell, Travis Moore, Jacob Salcedo, Hayden Sherman, Antigoon, Ilhan, and more. Most of those names I'm unfamiliar with, and that tends to be the way these work out. You know, they get some of their development squad in there, or just kind of, you know, hiring in some people from independent comics and see what they do. With DC characters, so kind of a a tryout book, you know, the way these tend to go. Sometimes you get some good stories, and sometimes you get some stinkers. The premise for this, though, is that uh, it says, How do you announce winter is coming to an end? You spring it on them. Welcome the springtime with a celebration of DC's greatest and greenest. As the flowers bloom, breathe in that swamp thing smell. Watch the blue beetles fly out from Titan's West. Pick a captain carrot or two from Floronic Man's Garden, but make sure to avoid the poison ivy. The season may go by in a flash, but don't worry. Stories like these last forever. Oh, and Wonder Woman will be there too. So, obviously some plant or uh, uh, DC's green-inspired stories, and I'm anxious to see just what some of these new creators uh, have to do with the DC Universe. Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Static, Shadows of Dakota, number two. Well, we're finally getting additional adventures of this new iteration of Static. The first issue was originally slated to come out in the latter half of 2022, got pushed back till February 2023. Now, Come March 2023, we're getting the second issue in this new six-issue miniseries. Now, the creative team for uh, Static Shadows of Dakota is writer Nicholas Draper-Ivy and Vita Ayala. 
Nicholas Draper Ivy was the primary artist on the Static Season 1 title. Vita Ayala was the writer. Now, it appears that Nicholas Draper Ivy is taking more of a larger role serving as a as a co-writer and the artist. For those of you who did not check out Static Season 1, I implore you to do so. I think a lot of what is going on in this book is a direct result of that first mini series. So for instance, they the solicitation text mentions uh, Bang Babies and Virgil continuing to grapple with friends who are manifesting powers. You know, certainly in the first Static miniseries, Static Season 1, a lot of time was spent with Virgil coming to terms with his powers, interacting with other folks who had gained powers and whatnot. So this, this, there's clearly some continuity here, which I'm, I'm glad because that, to me, that, that tells me that DC and Milestone are investing in the future of these characters. And even if we're not getting a traditional ongoing series, it looks like we will probably be getting a series of mini series based on sales and that there are going to be some sort of continuity overlap between the series, which are all wonderful things in my book. Uh, Nicholas Draper Ivy has is has this heavily animated style, which I really think is great for the kinetic nature of static. The panels, his layouts, the body movement, just how he renders the uses of static's abilities, all just wonderful things to behold. Perhaps we will one day get some sort of new static animated series. Perhaps it will be in the style of Nicholas Draper Ivy, who I think is a wonderful find. If you are a fan of Static and or the Milestone universe, I think you need to pick up this book. You need to support this title because that says to DC that you are interested in seeing subsequent titles featuring these characters. Static, Shadows of Dakota number two can be found on page 26 of DC Connect and costs $3.99 for a regular cover. Billy Hogan again. My next DC pick is on page 38 with Batman Superman World's Finest number 13. Written by Mark Wade with art and cover by Dan Mora. And this is the cover I'll be getting. A variant cover is by Christian Ward. A 1 in 25 variant cover by Fico Osio, and I hope I pronounced that name right. A 1 in 50 variant cover by Baldemar Rivas. A Shazam Fury of the Gods movie variant cover by Jesus Marino and Adriano Lucas. The cover price for the regular edition is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant covers are $4.99, and this issue is scheduled to go on sale March 21st. Where in the world is Metamorpho? In the pages of World's Finest, Batman, Robin, and Superman have traversed some of the DCU's most iconic locations 
and teamed up with the likes of the Teen Titans, Doom Patrol, and Supergirl. But none of that will prepare them as they must go across the globe in search of Rex Mason, a.k.a. Metamorpho, the Element Man. The world's finest, strangest adventure begins here. I've been fascinated by Metamorpho ever since I saw ads for his first appearances in The Brave and the Bold, I think it was, and also for his short-lived series. I only read very few of his original appearances in the 1960s. I did pick up a Mark Wade Metamorpho series that he published in the 90s, but just from these ads from the 60s, I've always been fascinated by the character and I can't wait to see his team up with Batman, Superman, and Robin in World's Finest number 13. This is Nick with another pick from the DC Connect catalog. This time from page 38, it is Batman Superman World's Finest number 13, $3.99, 32 pages. Written as always here by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora. It says in the solicitation, where in the world is Metamorpho? In the pages of World's Finest, Batman, Robin, and Superman have traversed some of the DCU's most iconic locations and teamed up with the likes of the Teen Titans, Doom Patrol, and Supergirl. But none of that will prepare them as they must go across the globe in search of Rex Mason, a.k.a. Metamorpho, the Element Man. The world's finest, strangest adventure begins here. I'll try saying that a couple times fast. Anyway, I've enjoyed this series so far, and I think Dan Moore and Mark Wade tell an excellent story, and I'm anxious to see what they have to do with Metamorpho. My next pick is on the very next page, number 39, with Batman, The Adventure Continues, Season 3, Number 3 of a 7-issue miniseries. Written by Alan Burnett and Paul Denny, art by Ty Templeton, with the cover by Baldemar Rivas, and that's the one I'll be getting. A variant cover is done by Mateo Scalera, and a villain variant cover by Sweeney Boo. A 1 in 25 title card variant cover by Hayden Sherman. The cover price is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant covers are $4.99. And this issue is scheduled to go on sale March 14th. The Joker's right-hand man, Straight Man, isn't quite feeling himself lately. He keeps experiencing moments, flashbacks, of a life he doesn't remember. After a recent run-in with the Clown Prince and his stoic enforcer, Batman starts to unravel the man's past, but it lands him smack dab in the crosshairs of Amanda Waller and Task Force X. I've been a fan of the Batman animated series tie-in series that DC published back in the 90s when the cartoon was uh, on TV in its original run, as well as all of the other tie-in miniseries, and this one is no different. I enjoy the stories whenever DC Comics decides to explore more of the Batman animated series continuity. My first pick in the DC catalog is on page 40, and it is Dark Knights of Steel number 10. Now, this is continuing the 12-issue series by Tom Taylor, and let me read you the solicitation. The true enemy of the Three Kingdoms has been revealed, but is the battle already lost? Or has the war only just begun? 
the end game for season one begins. That's right. The end game for season one begins. Now, this is going to come out at the end of March, March 28th. So we're going to have a little bit of a delay between issue nine, which came out in December, and issue 10 when it comes out, which is unfortunate. And I've been saying for a while, I wasn't sure if there was going to be enough survivors for any sort of a sequel to this. But if this is season one, that implies there's going to be another season or another series of this. So I just want to let people know, number 10 has been solicited this month, and it looks like there will be a volume two or some such of this afterwards. Hopefully it's all good. I've been enjoying the series so far. The delays have just been killing the momentum for me, which stinks, but... It is a good read when it comes out. So once again, that's Dark Knights of Steel, number 10, on page 40 of the DC Connect catalog. Billy Hogan again. My final DC pick is on page 41 with Fables, number 159, issue 9 of a 12-issue miniseries. Written by Bill Willingham, with art by Mark Buckingham and Steve Leloha, cover by Kareen Reed, and that's the one I'll be getting. And there is a variant cover by Mark Buckingham. The cover price of the regular edition is $3.99 for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant cover is $4.99, and is scheduled to go on sale March 21st. A chance encounter between the wolf children and Pan escalates into a battle of sky-high proportions that'll leave one of them beaten and bruised. But a far worse fate has fallen on the inhabitants of the Black Forest, casting a shadow of death and destruction that will shake Bigby and Sam to their core. The Pan that is referred to in this solicit is Peter Pan, who in this Fables miniseries is a very creepy and menacing villain indeed. This miniseries is an excellent sequel to the original series. This is Nick with another pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time from page 43. It's Nightwing number 102, written as always by Tom Taylor, with art here by Travis Moore. It's listed as $4.99, 40 pages, so a little bit longer than average. And the solicitation for this one says, Nightwing is a great leader, not just because Batman trained him or because of how Alfred raised him, or even because he has a heart of gold. It's because of his friends. And now that the Titans are in Bloodhaven with him, they can leap into the light together, which is perfect timing for the Demon of Darkness, Neron, to do something about it. So, more Nightwing Titans talk here, and anxious to see where things are going. I know the uh, kind of bigger picture here for DC is they're talking about the Titans sort of becoming the next big thing for a little while, so anxious to see what direction they're taking with that. And as always, we've got a good team here working with Nightwing. Check it out on sale March 21st. My next pick is on page 44 of the DC Connect, and it is Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries number 6. And the solicitation reads, Batman calls upon his friends in Mystery Inc. for help, and he's shocked that this time they refuse. It's no secret that they've become quite the crime-fighting team, and powerful foes are starting to team up against them. What fate does the fortune teller see, and will they solve the riddle in time to save the city? They've been telling some really fun stories in this series, and the one before it, actually, for a while, and even going back to the the uh, Scooby-Doo team-up stuff they did. 
I'm really enjoying this, and the whole concept of Mr. Ink kind of refusing to help Batman is an interesting story hook, and it kind of implies two mysteries, like what's the mystery Batman needs solved, and the mystery of why they're refusing. So anyways, this is nice, lighthearted fun. It's done in one stories. It reads like a Saturday morning cartoon show in all of the right ways, at least for me. I'm really enjoying it. Thought I'd point it out. Once again, that's Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries number 6 on page 44 of the DC Connect catalog. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Chris Brawley, a.k.a. Brawlinator, on the Slack channel and forums. And it's good to be back on the comic book page podcast preview spotlight for January 2023 for items coming out in March and later this year. My first pick is in the DC catalog, and it's on page 47. And guys, I have been looking for this collected edition for going on three years, maybe. DC is finally announcing the compilation of Batman stories illustrated by the great Jose Luis Garcia Lopez in a single 472-page volume. Now, many of you may know Garcia Lopez began working for DC back in the 70s, and he created world-class comic art in their monthly comics and uh, for the company's character style guides for over four decades. Now, this book is coming out April, mid-April, April 18th, which is actually three weeks, coincidentally, after uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is expected to celebrate his 75th birthday, so the timing couldn't be better. And this is DC's first collection of Garcia Lopez's Batman work. Now, he had his Superman work collected earlier in two Adventures of Superman volumes that came out in 2015 and 2020, I think. This very same Garcia Lopez Batman collection actually was previously solicited back in August 2020, which is why I mentioned I've been waiting almost three years. Uh, it was supposed to come out in November 2020 that year, but it was abruptly canceled in September the following month after it was solicited without any explanation. I have tried to find out what happened, and the only thing I got was that uh, publisher assured distributors that the book would be resolicited at a later date, and that appears to be the case now, albeit two and a half years after its original release date. Now, it's still a $49.99 cover price, which I'm sure you're going to get a significant discount from our friends at Cowabunga Comics or uh, DCBS or maybe your own local comic shop if you pre-order. It's got 22 complete issues spanning decades of his work, uh, mostly from 70s, the 70s, but also there's some modern adventures. And there's a whole gallery of classic covers. This is, I think, a must-have for any fan of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's incredible work. If you are a Bronze Age baby like me, you probably saw his work everywhere. T-shirts, lunchboxes, you name it. He literally created the house style for DC Comics back in the day. And I just think this will be a tremendous, tremendous part of anyone's collection. Again, it is on page 47 in the DC Connect catalog. My first pick in the Marvel previews is on page two, and it is Doctor Strange. Now, this replaces the Strange series that just ended, or will end by this point. I, I don't know what issue it ends at. Anyways, Jed McKay is doing this title. He's been doing some good stuff over on Strange. They seem to be following kind of the Black Cat formula of have a title go for a little bit, stop it, start a new one, stop it, start a new one, which gets a little frustrating, but he's telling some good stories. 
and Jed McKay does a really good job of making sure there's enough payoff per issue that you feel like you're getting your money's worth and stuff. So I'm looking forward to this one and think you may want to consider it. So once again, that's Doctor Strange on page two of the Marvel previews. Billy Hogan again. My first Marvel pick is on page 26 with Avengers number nine facsimile edition written by Stan Lee with art by Don Heck and cover by Jack Kirby. The coming of Wonder Man. Simon Williams would one day become a stalwart Avenger and Hollywood action star, but in his classic debut, he is a brilliant inventor turned dangerous foe for the Avengers. His ionic powers making him strong enough to go toe-to-toe with Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, and the Wasp. But why has the newly empowered Wonder Man allied himself with Baron Zemo and his Masters of Evil? Can the Avengers find a way to shake his loyalty? And as Earth's mightiest heroes are lured to the Master's compound, will everybody make it out of this confrontation alive? Or will a hero make the ultimate sacrifice? The epic story of Wonder Man begins here. It's one of the all-time great Marvel comic books boldly represented in its original form, ads and all. Rated T14 and the schedule be in shops March 22nd for the cover price of three ninety nine. I love all of these facsimile editions that DC and Marvel has been printing lately, especially since they're reprinting issues from my childhood in the 1960s. I don't think I ever read the original Wonder Man story from Avengers number 9, but anytime I see Marvel or DC publishing a facsimile edition of any issue, you can be sure that I'll be putting it on my next order from Discount Comic Book Service. Billy Hogan again. My second Marvel pick is on page 49 with Miracle Man, Silver Age number 6, written by Neil Gaiman, art and cover A by Mark Buckingham, which is the one I'll be getting, and cover B is by Ivan Coelho. Young Miracle Man has been found. Now what? One Miracle Man decided to destroy the world and almost did. Another Miracle Man decided to rebuild the world in his own image and did it. What will this Miracle Man do? This issue is rated mature and is scheduled to be in shops on March 29th for the cover price of $4.99. While I'm familiar with the character Miracle Man in a secondhand sort of way, I've never read any of his adventures, so I'm glad that Marvel is... Publishing this series. Dr. Mo here with a Marvel pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Extreme X-Men number five. This newest volume of Extreme X-Men is winding down with an issue that appears to be titled, at least by according to the solicitations, as Extreme Measures. Now, this mini series has been written by Chris Claremont and the artwork is provided by Salvador La Roca. Claremont and La Roca were the original creative team behind volume one of Extreme X-Men roughly 20 years ago. Claremont wrote the entire series. La Roca was around for probably the first 24, 25 issues. Of the series, he more or less set the tone 
for this series. For me, this first volume of Extreme X-Men is when LaRocca really grew into the artist that I know that he is now. The artist that brought you Darth Vader during the Karen Gillum era. Now, the X-Men who are part of this volume of Extreme X-Men do not look like their current Krakoan era iterations. You got to remember that this is a throwback series. So the personality for Sage, for Bishop, and especially Kitty Pryde, Shadowcat, are very different than what we have been getting, which I'm perfectly fine with. I'm fine with Claremont doing Claremont-isms, whether it's possession, whether it is, you know, anti-mutant groups, all causing all kinds of mayhem in a large metropolitan city, and the X-Men have to run in and save the day. You know, a lot of classic Chris Claremont tropes. As of this recording, the second issue of, of this volume of Extreme X-Men has come out, so I am kind of want to be light on spoilers and specifics. But basically, if you are a fan of Chris Claremont or if you are a fan of this era of the X-Men, I suggest you pick up this book because then that says to Marvel that you are interested in A, more work being produced by Chris Claremont, B, you're, you're interested in work that separates itself from the current Krakoan era. Because right now, if you're an X-Men fan, it's either it's Krakoa all the time or it is these side adjacent projects. And for me, I like to have a little bit of variety that I'm because if I quite honest, I feel a little burnt out with Krakoa, but something like this reinvigorates my interest in the X-Men. I really was a huge fan of Chris Claremont back in the day. I think that there's still a little bit of room for him to have his version of the X-Men, and we can have a very contemporary version of the X-Men, too. I, I, I just feel like there's enough space within the Marvel Universe to have both, especially when these are projects that carve out, you know, sort of this additional space in continuity. Extreme X-Men, number five of five, can be found on page 54 of the Marvel Previews catalog and costs $3.99. Dr. Mo here with a Marvel pick for the Previews Spotlight episode. It's Avengers War Across Time, number three. So I do want to preface this by saying that, first off, that as of this recording, Avengers War Across Time, number one, has just hit the stands. I unfortunately have not been to my LCS and either bought or read a copy of the first issue. So I'm going to be more or less basing this pick on the citation text and just you know, my general love and admiration for the creative team involved in this series. Now, Avengers War Across Time is written by Paul Levitz with art by 
Allen Davis. Now, Paul Levis, you that that name, uh, you automatically think DC, and you'll be right. You know, he's had long stints on the Legion of Superheroes. He did a bit of work with the Justice Society of America, particularly reviving that that franchise back in the seventies. He helped co-create the Earth to Huntress, the daughter of Batman and Catwoman. Now, fast forward, you know, 45 years or so, he's now writing the Avengers as part of the Avengers 60th anniversary celebration, you know, based on the artwork that you've got, not just for this third issue, but also for previous issues. You you notice that Levitz is dealing with a throwback team, specifically, you know, early part of the Avengers history. He's got Cap, he's got Giant Man, he's got Wasp, he's got Thor and Iron Man. So, you know, really early on. And of course, this team is battling Kang, which, you know, my Avengers historical knowledge is you know it, it's a bit thin so so in my mind i'm thinking kang was one of these threats that came much later you know initially it was like a, a fan, fantastic foe villain and so forth so i'm curious to see what how does paul levitz play with the established continuity because according to the solicitation text we're dealing with uh dwarves after Malnir and Lava Men and so forth. So very much in keeping with possibly the kind of threats the Avengers would face early on, particularly in the 60s and so forth. Now, the artwork for this series is being provided by Alan Davis. Alan Davis is a master of superheroic comics. He's done some stints on the Avengers. Uh, I famously remember he did a few issues during the Kurt Busiek era of the Avengers. But for me, Alan Davis is first and foremost an X-Men artist. You know, he worked on issues of Uncanny, Uncanny X-Men annuals, long stints on Excalibur, which was a spinoff title of the X-Men. So it's good to see him playing in other uh, sort of Marvel sandboxes. You know, again, the cover art looks gorgeous. Look forward to seeing his rendition of this older set of Avengers characters in addition to Kang. Now, as I said earlier, this is part of Marvel's uh, 60th anniversary releases celebrating the Avengers. And with Kang especially, you know, with the character slated to appear in the upcoming uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp film, you know, it, it's a good time for Marvel to get as much Kang product out there as possible, particularly if Kang is the antagonist. Avengers War Across Time, number three of five, can be found on page 60 of the Marvel Previews Catalog and costs $3.99. Billy Hogan again. My final Marvel pick is on page 63 with Fantastic Four number 5. The writer is Ryan North. The artist is Ivan Fiorelli. Cover A is done by Alex Ross. 
and that's the one I'll be getting. And cover B is an Alex Ross Timeless Super Scroll variant cover. Cover C is another Alex Ross variant cover, and cover D is done by Chris Boccolo. The Fantastic Four are reunited and all is well, until their convoy is interrupted by Nick Scratch and Salem 7. It's an all-out magical battle for survival right there on the highway, and the Fantastic Four 100% fail to win it. That's right, this solicit isn't going the way you thought it would. As the truth of what happened is puzzled out, Reed, Sue, Ben, Johnny, and Alicia all realize that something more sinister has taken place, and their only hope of undoing it is an impromptu voyage into the unknown, rated T+, and is scheduled to be in shops on March 8th for the cover price of $3.99. Whenever the Fantastic Four take another voyage into the unknown, you know that's going to be another great Fantastic Four story. And I expect this one will be no different. Brawlinator again. I am now in the Marvel section. I'm on page 91. This is my only selection from Marvel this month. It is Star Wars Legends New Republic Omnibus Volume 2. Now, this is a collection of Star Wars Legends stories that occurred right after uh, Return of the Jedi. This omnibus contains some of the most iconic tales in Star Wars history, and they were all printed by Dark Horse Comics. It's got the Thrawn trilogy and the Dark Empire trilogy together for the first time. And this is um, in the years that followed uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, and the New Republic is working to unite the galaxy. Uh, my friend Mike Barron adapts the Timothy Zahn novels. Uh, and it's pretty much a straight adaptation. He doesn't do anything new. But if you enjoyed the books, um, you're going to love this. It also... Uh, has the very first return of Boba Fett, uh, the mysteriously resurrected Emperor Palpatine. You may watch this and think, man, uh, Lucasfilm couldn't come up with any fresh ideas, so they just stole everything from these um, extended universe stories uh, from Timothy Zahn and, uh, and the gang. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in here. In my opinion, this is a better sequel than Disney's uh, trilogy series. It really has that classic Star Wars feel. It doesn't repeat any stories that have been told before. All the old characters are represented perfectly. And they've got new characters like Mara Jade. A good, solid read. Uh, there's a lot of focus on dialogue and storytelling. and But man, the artwork is just beautiful. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, a lot of good stuff is collected here. And I would recommend it to anyone that's digging uh, the Star Wars collected editions from Marvel. This is on page 91, again, it's Marvel Star Wars Legends New Republic Omnibus, Volume 2, on page 91. Dr. Mo here with an image pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's The Ambassadors, number one. Mark Millar is back with another six-issue miniseries. This time, the high concept is... What if a Willy Wonka type character could be bestow superpowers on six individuals across the world? Now, when I first heard about the ambassadors, it was during an interview Mark Millar gave to the Hollywood Reporter in this interview. There was some preview art that was provided. One of the sort of catches with this 
series is that each issue is drawn by a different artist. Frank Quietly is providing the artwork for issue number one. And of course, given that this is Mark Millar, you can only assume that there's going to be some other big names coming up. Now, based on the preview art and the cover artwork for issue one, it appears that the first superhero to be sued powers appears to come from Taiwan. Certainly kind of curious about what version of Mark Millar we will be getting with this series. We'll be getting the more cynical superhero writer in the person who gave us Jupiter's Legacy or gave us the Ultimates. Or we will be getting the Mark Millar who wrote issues of The Flash. He wrote the Superman Adventures title, which, if you may recall, Superman the Superman Adventures comic that was published in the 1990s was based on the Superman animated series that was airing during that time period. So we can get a Mark Millar who, you know, has a very joyous, optimistic take on superheroes, or we can get the very cynical Mark Millar who has been doing superhero comics for roughly about 20 years. We'll see what happens. But, you know, given the high concept, the creators involved in this, I think it is worth taking a look at. If if anything, I think that you will be entertained. The Ambassadors, number one of six, can be found on page 42 of the previews catalog. It costs three. 99. Hey, this is James back with another pick, and I'm at the main previews catalog, and it seems like Image, all of a sudden, all the writers who seem to take a hiatus for the entire year of 2022, I I don't know, there wasn't a lot coming out from Image that I was liking. They all kind of like came to the forefront, and they're all coming out with new titles. One thing I'm going to point out, but I'm not doing a recording on, is Mark Millar has been becoming prolific. He's like releasing books left and right. I don't know. Maybe he was like trying to direct his shows over at Netflix and I haven't seen anything new coming out from him over at Netflix in a while. So maybe they just relegated him to, you just write the comics, let us take care of the shows, which seems like that's about, that's what's happening. But he's coming out with a new thing called The Ambassadors, but I'm going to skip that one. But right across from The Ambassadors on page 43, we have a new crime and mystery this is all they do, crime and mystery, I swear, but they do it really well. It's a hardcover. It is Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips doing Night Fever hardcover. And in the little black box on this page, it says, The Surreal Thrills of Fight Club, which I loved, meet the suspense of the talented Mr. Ripley in this twisty, character-driven story. Everything they do is awesome. It's all pulp. You know, honestly, I knew Ed Brubaker can do things beyond pulp. I kind of wish he would sometimes, because that seems like he's almost, I know he loves it, but he almost is, uh, actors seem to be typecast. You know, if they do one certain thing for a certain time, that's that's all they're known for, you know, and it's hard for him to get other roles. It seems like this is all he does. I would love to see him write something different out of crime noir from the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, just something different. But anyways, but what everything he writes is fantastic. So it's saying a group, gripping new graphic novel, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the best-selling creators of Pulp, Reckless, Criminal, Kill or Be Killed, all terrific. Who are you really? Are you the thing you do, or are you the person inside your mind? 
in Europe on a business trip, Jonathan Webb can't sleep. Instead, he finds himself wandering or wandering the, the night in strange foreign city with his new friend, the mysterious and violent Rainer. Almost spelled like my last name. It's spelled differently, though. As his guide, Rainer shows Jonathan the hidden world of the night, a world without rules or limits. But when the fun turns dangerous, Jonathan may find himself trapped in the dark. The question is, what will he do to get home? Da, da, da. And if you flip the pages, they have four pages of preview art. It looks pretty fantastic. It looks like it's going to be a good read. I'm on board for it. I'm picking it up. If you're a fan of Brubaker and Phillips, you got to pick it up. On to my next pick. Hey, this is James back with my next pick in the in the previous catalog. And I'm once again in the image, image section. I didn't go very far. I flipped the page, basically a few pages. And I'm over on page 48 where I'm looking at Phantom Road number one. Writer is Jeff Lemire. Art, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, and Jordi Belair, who does the color. And when I looked at the color, I was like, yeah, that's Jordi Belair. Jordi kind of, you can tell her color art because she tends to take certain things in the panel, and she you know, paints it all one color. It's, it's just kind of funny. You know, the characters are all one color, or, you know, the, the road is all one color. Anyways, once you see her doing coloring, you'll always know it's her. Uh, this one, they said it's fantasy, horror, and supernatural, and in the little black descriptor box, that's what sold me. It says, Mad Max, which I love, meets the Sandman, cool, and this high-octane grindhouse horror wrapped in a dark fantasy aesthetic. And I'm like, grindhouse horror, Mad Max, I love that. All right, let's see what they say about this. It's a brand new number one. It says, Dom is a long-haul truck driver attempting to stay ahead of his tragic past. When he stops one night to assist Birdie, who has been in a massive car crash, They pull an artifact from the wreckage that throws their lives into fifth gear. Suddenly, a typical midnight run has become a frantic journey through a surreal world where Dom and Birdie find themselves the quarry of strange and impossible monsters. It's grindhouse horror meets high-concept supernatural fantasy in this first issue of a bold new series. And, And then it goes on to talk about their accolades. But the art looks okay. The story is what caught me, and it said Mad Max type approach. I'm expecting to see people fighting on the highways. This one could be hit or miss. I'm going to give it a try. It's a gem of the month. It piqued my interest. If it's something that I don't like the first issue of, I probably won't even see it through a first arc. I'll be off by issue number two or three. But I'm definitely in for the first probably couple issues, and we'll see how it goes. And like I said, check out the preview art. Uh, you can go to the image website if you are not using a previews catalog or go to previewsworld.com and check it out. But it looks interesting to me, and on to my next pick. Hey, this is James back for the previews catalog, another pick. And this one is, once again, an image, and I literally flipped the page. And, okay, this one's weird, and I'm picking it for a completely different reason, the creative team. Okay, it's called Dead Romans number one of six. So it's a six issue miniseries. Writer is Fred Kennedy. Uh, by the way, it's on page 52. The art is Nick Marinkovich, and it's a historical fiction. It is historical because this stuff did happen fiction because they don't know the exact words or, or interactions between the people. But this, this is a true story. There is a Netflix series that my wife and I have been watching called barbarians it's in the german language and we watch it you know with subtitles and they have translations you know they use you can watch it with german or you can watch it with the english voices and for the life i think we watch it with english voices and subtitles but 
the art in here is fantastic. It's just terrific. You can look at it. You see some of the German tribeswomen, beautiful. You see the Roman centurions, beautiful. I've always been a sucker <laughs> for any type of uh, Roman, you know, the Roman legions and going back to the, 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 the Roman Empire. I just love that stuff. But let me tell you what this is about. Um, it's Arminius, a Germanic prince raised in Rome. That is very true. Arminius was a Germanic prince that was raised, he was brought as a child, as a slave, to Rome, and then raised as in Rome. He has sworn vengeance against the empire that butchers his people. He wants to make a queen of the woman he loves, Honoria, a fellow slave. Now, 50,000 Romans will die to give her a throne she never asked for or wanted. Lush, beautiful illustrations bring to life a brutal tale of love and war from the birth of the Roman Empire. And this is very much a true story. I'm not going to go into the whole, if you're a history buff, you know the story of Arminius and what happened and the Roman legions. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to spoil it, but you can read it in six issues. If you are a historical buff, you're probably going to like this. Like I said, the art in this is fantastic. And you are going to see the German barbarians at the time, you know, trying to ambush the Roman legions. And what do they do to fight the Roman legion? How do they outsmart them? And you, you get to see the Romans, you know, sometimes they're going to win in battles. I don't know how detailed this is going to be in six issues, but the Barbarian series on Netflix is awesome. I'm definitely a mark for this stuff, so I'm reading it. It's hopefully fantastic. So I've got my fingers crossed because I've never heard of Fred Kennedy as a writer. So fingers crossed that he does a good job with this, but this material is right up my alley. On to my next pick. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And once again, I literally turned the page in the previous catalog. I'm still an image. And I'm looking at, on page 54, Forged, number one. Now, the reason why this one caught my eye, you'll, you'll see soon. Writer, Greg Rucka. There you go. And Eric Troutman. I'm here for Greg Rucka. And Art Mike Henderson. Um, it says it's in the science fiction genre. I'm cool with that. I'm a big Greg Rucka fan. But I don't know how much Greg Rucka's writing, and I don't know how much Eric Troutman's writing. So... I don't know what the collaboration is looking like here, but in the little black descriptor, it says an over-the-top pulp adventure of sex, violence, and sci-fi. Okay, I love sex. I love violence. I love sci-fi. Sounds good. Inspired by Conan and heavy metal. Tell me that does not sound awesome. Greg Rucka writing Conan and heavy metal. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> it's not a gem of the month, but I'm like, man, that, just the way that's pitched, I'm like, that's a gem of the month for me. It says, okay, let me tell you what this list says. In the 11th millennium of the rule of the Eternal Empress, a squad of planet-smashing super soldiers find their routine mission to be anything but. These are forged. They are no prisoners. That's all they tell you about it. I'm looking at sample pages. They have four sample pages. It looks pretty cool. I mean, they're really kind of tiny because they put all four pages on one page, so I can't really read the text even with my glasses on. But if you go to Previews World, I'm sure they'll give you bigger preview pages. But I heard Greg Rucka. I'm completely on board for this. It's $5.99. It doesn't tell me on here, and I'm looking for the life of me. You know, something happened with Image. They got very colorful and creative with their solicits and left out a ton of information. I, 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 that's the one thing that kind of is annoying. Oh, they didn't leave it out. They put it in the black area. So it's five ninety nine, so six bucks, but you're getting sixty four pages. It's kind of in a little gray area down at the bottom. They don't tell you up at the top where the where the series is. But coming out March fifteenth. So just realize it's a little bit more expensive, but you are getting a big chunk of things. I'm just hoping it's not like the Greg Rucka 
Lazarus book where it comes out once a quarter and I love it when it comes out. But the, the bad thing is I, I forgot what happened, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight months prior when the last quote unquote quarterly book came out that actually came out eight months pre- previously. But I'm definitely on board for this. I'm hoping it's good. I'm hoping Greg Rucker can ship it. And if he can't, maybe Eric Troutman can write it so it can be shipped. On to my next bit. All right, Chris Brawley, the Brawlinator. I am now on page 60 in the previews catalog proper, and I'm looking at the latest from Emma Kubert. It is Stoneheart number one. Uh, Kubert is the artist behind Frank Miller's Pandora and Image Comics' Ink, Ink Blot and Radiant Pink series. And she's just, she's got a very it's a great art style and she's got this new sort of whimsical twisted tale called Stoneheart. This is going to be an ongoing action adventure series coming out in March and it tells the story of a bubbly and headstrong Shade Whisper. That's the name S H A Y D E. Uh, she's been exiled from her magical guild and relocated and only has uh, vague memories of her past and uh, romanticized hope. Uh, but then she hears this sinister voice in her head that awakens a power beyond her comprehension, and she'll go through her past and into the present, unraveling her prestigious place within the mystical land of Athea. So this is a hero's journey, good and evil, great art, humor, adventure, excitement. I think this will be one that you'll not want to miss. It is a number one issue. It comes out March the 8th. It's called Stoneheart, and it's from Emma Kubert. And you're going to want to check that out over on page 60 of the previews catalog. My next pick is on page 62 of the previews catalog, and it is Ark. It's a one-shot. It is by Matt Hawkins and Ryan Caddy on story. We've got Alitio Rojo on art. Hopefully I didn't butcher that name too badly. Covered by Sepp and Sage. I'm a little hesitant on this because they don't show any of the interior artwork, just the cover, and Stefan Sage is a terrific artist, so, I mean, that's great, but I I don't know what it's going to look like inside. ARC stands for Animal Rights Coalition. This is about, basically, poachers and people fighting them, I think. Uh, Basically, uh, Matt Hawkins, it was enough for me to give it. It's a one-shot. It's 48 pages. It's $4.99. It seems like pretty low risk or whatever, and I generally enjoy what Matt Hawkins does. Hopefully the art's pretty good. Again, I wish we had a little bit of the interior art to look at, but like I said, you know, again, it's a one-shot. It's it's low risk. Anyways, it's ARC one-shot or number one or whatever on page 62 of the previews catalog. Hey, this is James back with another pick, and I am once again in the image section where I'm looking at a crime and mystery comma horror. It's on page 67. You guys, if you listen to this podcast, and that's a key if you listen to it, when uh, John and I do our monthly comic picks, you know, or when we talk about our, the monthly comic spotlight, when we talk about what we read, you'll notice that I speak about the Department of Truth very often. Well, here we have the Department of Truth Deluxe Edition, Volume 1, The Complete Conspiracy Hardcover, written by James Tiny in the fourth, covered by Martin Simmons. The artist is Martin Simmons and Elsie... Uh, Martin Simmons does both. I'm not going to read all these other artists on here, but Martin Simmons does the bulk of the uh, the heavy lifting in this. And it this book deals with Cole Turner, who is an agent for the Department of Truth. And you have the Department of Truth. You have Black Hat. 
you have different factions that are vying to make their version of reality in this world. Whatever the bulk of people believe becomes the truth. So if the bulk of people believe that Satanists are running you know, unabashed <laughs> satanic cults, everyone who, back in the 80s remembers the satanic panic. Everyone thought, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, people are going to become Satanists. It, it, it was really rampant all over, especially me. I lived in the South, it, which was just complete and utter nonsense. But people wanted to believe it, and they had meetings and talks and about how kids are getting brainwashed. Well, if enough people believe that, it became reality in this world. So this is an alternative world where the the people who control the facts, the narrative, that becomes the truth. And it, that's kind of a scary thing, especially in the, the current world of what I would call disinformation. I'll, I'll never forget one thing that I saw that was in the news where they said, well, that's a fact. And they said, well, we like to present alternative facts. I'm like, there's no such thing as an alternative fact. There's a fact. There's no alternative to a fact. It is that. But that's the world we live in where people think they, they don't want to be presented with facts. So they come up with alternative theories and conspiracy theories and teach their own research and do your own whatever. But to me, it's, it's amusing. I think social media has made it very dangerous. I think people go down rabbit holes and get into very dark places and cons- get consumed and choose to be self-brainwashed. It's, it's just amazing. This book deals with all that. And so I feel like it's so relevant in today's world, and it's written in a good manner. It's just fantastic. This, this one collects uh, Department of Truth number 1 through 17. It's not the entire series, but it's a volume 1 hardcover. There's going to be a volume 2. Uh, it's $50, 520 pages. It comes out in April. The thing I will tell you is if you get it from Deep Discount Comics, you'll probably be paying 25 bucks for 526 pages or 520 pages in a nice hardcover. That's that's not a bad deal. This is fantastic, fantastic material. This one, just to give you an idea, they, they talk about the truth of JFK assassination, the flat earth theory, Bigfoot, Mothman, and so much more. That, I mean, just just terrific. I think everyone should read it. It's good. And on to my next pick. Billy Hogan again. My only image comics pick is on page 82 with Junkyard Joe number six. The writer is Jeff Johns, and the art team, who also do the main cover, are Gary Frank and Brad Anderson, and this is the cover I'll be getting. Cover B is by Tony Daniel and Brad Anderson. Cover C is by German Peralta, and cover D is another cover by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. Mini series finale. The tales of mad ghosts unnamed go full throttle in this final chapter. The man, known only as the custodian, won't relent until he claims Joe's technology for his own clandestine group. And if Muddy Davis and the neighbor kids get in his way, they are merely collateral damage in the building unknown war. Scheduled to be in shops on March 29th for the cover price of $4.99. Junkyard Joe is a very interesting minor character from the Geiger miniseries. I'm looking forward to reading how this miniseries ends. And I also look forward to reading more from the Geiger universe. Hey, this is James back with another pick. And this one is not in the image section. I moved out and I'm over in Dark Horse on page 134. And this is a comic that I may or may not pick up. It's kind of like on the maybe list. But I wanted—I just wanted to point it out because of the writer. 
It's Jim Starlin. I was a fan of Jim Starlin back in the day. I know a lot of people were. Rags Morales is the artist on this. It's called Order and Outrage on page 134. And it's a $5 comic, 32 pages, so it's a little bit expensive. But it's a miniseries, so it's not going to go on forever. Uh, it's only four issues. I'm looking at the, the preview art. It's decent. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's anything stellar, but it, it's decent art. And it's just for basically Jim Starlin writing this that I, I wanted to point out. It says it's a space opera from comics legend Jim Starlin and Rags Morales. It says gene manipulation has always been solely for those who can afford the expensive parental treatments or prenatal treatments. I said parental. Oh, my God. Prenatal treatments. Income determines status and, more importantly, survival. Sounds like something we could be headed towards, honestly. If your genes have not been optimized, the order has no use for you. You are non-essential, less than, to be eliminated. Everything is geared to keeping the ship of the state sailing along smoothly, no matter the cost. But in every totalitarian system lies the seeds of rebellion, independence, and outrage. So it sounds like it could be cool. It's only four issues, so you won't be in there for a long time. Check it out, see if you like it. If you don't want to sit there and read the single issues, Dark Horse will collect it in a trade in four or five months, and you can read it then. On to my next pick. A little further back in the catalog, I'm on page 153, and I am looking at, I have not heard of this title before. It is The Rock Gods of Jackson, Tennessee. Now, I've been to Jackson. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, I used to manage uh, some rock bands uh, when I was in my late 20s. So this just sounded like a funny premise, and then I read a little bit more to find out what it was about, and so I've decided I'm definitely going to pick this up. It's described as a heartwarming coming-of-age tale of four high school outcasts who start a band to gain fame and popularity, but have to defend their hometown of Jackson, Tennessee from a hungry horde of monsters instead. Now, this is set in 1989 uh, with some juvenile delinquents who want to uh, be rock gods, so to speak. I th- the art looks fun. It's by Rafer Roberts and Mike Norton and Alan Pasaliqua and Crank. I don't know who Crank is, but they're all the illustrators. Rafer Roberts is the writer, and this thing's just monsters, rock band, fun, whimsy, jerks, bullies, sanctimonious preachers, corrupt politicians, mutated monsters in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, (laughs) What I've seen of it looks good, but, you know, it's up to you. Everybody's got their own taste. Check it out for yourself. It is the Rock Gods of Jackson, Tennessee, over on page 153 of this month's previews. Hey, this is James back with another pick, and this one's going to be really quick because I called this stuff out years ago. It's on page 232 and 233. It is in Titan Comics, who I guess is now a premier publisher, which is funny. I guess they had to be a premier publisher because we're going to be losing Aftershock, which kind of became a premier publisher until they went bankrupt. <laughs> but the the one thing I was going to call out here, Titan, the only reason why I can imagine that they made it to premier status is because of the Conan license. And you have the reprinting of Conan the Barbarian, the original comics, Omnibus Volume 1. I picked them up when Marvel did it, but here it is. It collects Conan the Barbarian 1 through 26 and material from Savage Tales 1 and 4. And on the opposite page, you get Savage Sword of Conan, the original comics, Omnibus Volume 1. And collecting Conan adventures from Savage Tales 1 through 5 and the Savage Sword of Conan 1 through 12. Like I said, I have these Omnibuy from Marvel, so I will not be picking these up. 
I'm awaiting the continuation and the completion of the Savage Sword of Conan Omnibus over at Titan. So I'm not going to pick it up just for the same trade dress. I know there's some people who are super, I, I don't know, they're, they're anal, they're OCD about trade dress and how they want it to look identical. And my joke, which is never taken very well, <laughs> I say, I always say it, and I have OCD myself, but they said, you know, people say, oh, I can't stand it. And they complain about the trade dress. I'm like, OCD is a mental disorder. I suggest seeking counseling. It's a, it's much less expensive. Actually, the counseling is probably much more expensive, but in the long run, it may be cheaper. It can, it's debatable, I guess. But no, if you want the same trade dress, you can start over right here and go along with it. If you don't mind the change in trade dress, be like me. I'm just going to sit out and wait for the Savage Short of Conan to start picking back up where Marvel left off. But here they are. If you didn't pick them up originally, this is your time to get them. Once they print them, I don't know how long they'll be in stock. I imagine Titan probably can't keep the license for Conan forever. The license tends to bounce around a little bit, so I imagine it's expensive. On to my next pick. Brawlinator again, and I know that James has probably already mentioned this, so it's on page 232. It is the Conan the Barbarian Original Comics Omnibus and the Savage Sword of Conan Original Comics Omnibus. Now, both of these, I've got them already. These are the same uh, things that Marvel Comics collected when they held the Conan license again, when they reheld the Conan license. And they recently gave it up. Uh, now Heroes Limited is taking it over and they're publishing it with Titan. What excited me about this was Marvel did not finish printing the full set of Savage Sword. They did end up through the end of the Conan the Barbarian Marvel Comics, the monthly titles, at least soliciting. I'm waiting on mine this week. They did not finish Savage Sword. I think they got through Volume 9. And those were the magazine. Um, the Savage Sword of Conan were the black and white magazines. And I was always grousing about, look, they're black and white. You don't even have to retreat the color. They should have printed those faster and gotten them out. But they didn't. So when Titan announced that they were going to be doing this series and picking it up, we were led to believe they were going to pick it up where they left off. Now, I could understand starting over one month, but I was hoping that they would pick up at that volume nine of Savage Sword that Marvel had not finished. One good thing, if you've been collecting some of the Marvel omnibus, maybe you haven't gotten them all, or you are hoping, like me, for them to continue, all the trade dress is the same. So it's the same size, uh, it's the same uh, dust jackets, basically the same art, and it really looks just like it except the word Marvel. The logo is not there, and it doesn't say the original Marvel years. It just says the original comics. I'm not sure interior-wise what might be missing as far as some of the back matter that Marvel had included. I presume it's going to be all there, but I don't know. I do know, however, that you probably won't get quite as big a discount. These are going to be priced the same at, at $150. I don't know you'll, that you'll get as substantial discount as most comic shops and pre-order um, sites have been able to do for Marvel titles in the past, which kind of sucks. But what I also don't like is that they have started over at number one with both the floppy comics Omni and the magazine Savage Sword Omni, because if you're going to do your trade dress that to make it look like it fits in with the Marvel versions of these omnibus, why start it back at number one again? I'm hoping the next set of solicits will be the pickup and just let them kind of ping pong. I don't know. 
All that said, if you miss these from Marvel, these are must-haves. One good thing about this, too, the reason they're also doing the same trade dress is the same guy that was editing uh, the Marvel version of these omnibus came over to Titan to do this series for them. So you're going to have the same quality, and these are fantastic stories. Uh, This is really what got me hooked on comics, were some of these... um, Conan comics. So I do recommend them from that aspect. I just wanted to use my solicit time here, I guess, just to complain. And I guess we all can find plenty to complain about. And I do apologize for that. But I do at the same time, just like James, I will recommend this if you missed out on the Marvel run. So you you do want to get this if you want some great comics, great stories uh, from Roy Thomas, John Buscema and the rest. It's just fantastic stuff that you're going to want to check out if you missed out on it. Those are, again, found on page 232 and 233 of this month's previews. Rollin' here again. I was just talking about the Conan comics from Roy Thomas that are being uh, reprinted in omnibus editions over at Titan. Now I've got a new thing from Roy Thomas that I wanted to talk about. He has written the Marvel Value Stamps, A Visual History. Uh, This is a hardback. Now, we probably all remember these if you grew up in the Bronze Age like I did. These stamps, you could actually uh, get these stamp books filled with collectible stamps that were clipped out of dozens of random mid-70s issues. (laughs) Basically, take a pair of scissors to your comic, right? And and cut out this uh, two inch by three inch stamp, maybe not even that big. My mind makes me think that they were that big because I was so small and young back then. But we don't want to dwell on the hundreds or thousands of dollars of floppy issue devaluation that this sort of practice probably wrought on any naive collectors back in the day. These value stamps still have a special place in comics history, and you can find a lot of these stamps out there, or at least the books that collected them online. But now Roy Thomas has written the story of the most inspired comic book promotional campaign of all time, and it's all collected in one hardcover edition for the first time. This started back in 1974, when Stan Lee devised this ingenious promotional campaign appearing on the letters pages of their monthly comics. And if you cut out all 100 of these superhero and supervillain stamps and place them in a special mail-order booklet, you once complete, they could be redeemed for special discounts and exclusive merchandise, which I never heard anyone that did. Maybe they did. Maybe Roy Thomas will tell us about it. The program was actually so successful, a second set was released in 1975, and now these original stamp book stamps and all the surrounding Founding, uh, source material and behind-the-scenes stories is collected in this must-have volume uh, from Abrams Arts, written by Marvel Comics former editor-in-chief and historian and fantastic writer himself, Roy Thomas. It's 368 pages. This is a must-have for somebody like me if you like these reference books and history of Marvel. This just seems like a fun uh, book to read uh, and check out. And I think I'm going to order it. If you don't and you're interested later, maybe I'll let you borrow it. It is over on page 264. Marvel Value Stamps of Visual History by Roy Thomas. Billy Hogan again. My next pick is in the back half of previews on page 265 from Abstract Studios with Parker Girls number 6. The writer, cover, and story artist is Terry Moore. Tamby is determined to bring down the empire of billionaire Zachary May, and Kachu knows how to do it. From the inside. Starting with a scandal that lands May on the cancel list of every blogger in America, 
Kachu orchestrates a brilliant sequence of events that rocks the company's stock. May launches a counteroffensive that declares war on the entire Parker Girls, and Kachu is enemy number one. Schedule B in shops on March 29th for the cover price of $3.99. Terry Moore is a great comic book storyteller. He knows how to do realistic depictions of women. He also knows how to move the story along and develop believable characters. And I would recommend any of his work for someone who doesn't like superhero comic books. Hey, this is James back with another pick. This time I'm back in the humanoid section. One thing I was just going to say real quick, there is a printing book four of the Meta Baron, which is a spinoff of the Inkall. There's preview art in there. You can see how beautiful that book is. Pick it up. If you haven't read the Meta Baron, the Inkall, pick it up. Euro Comics at its best. But I'm going to take you over to page 349 where there is a thing, a, a new thing. Or I don't know how new, but it's new to me. Humanoids is, is a magnetic press are known for European comics. Manga is all the rage. I love manga. We get Japanese comics. Japanese comics are kind of like what I say, the minimalist comics. Very minimalist art. They're rarely, if ever, color. Maybe a page or two. It, it just done really quick. Minimalist text, typically. Some of them have a little bit more text. Euro comics are a little bit are, are kind of like the antithesis of that. <laughs> more text, more in-depth plotting dialogues. They tend to have a lot more mature stuff, and the art is ultra detailed. So just it's it's amazing how different they are and how I enjoy them both. So here we go on page 349 where we have SAP hunters or oh no, I'm not gonna call it SAP. It's it's SAP because I forgot it's about trees. But SAP hunters. The writer is Alexandre Ristorcelli. So it sounds like an Italian writer. And the original story is Laurent Genefort. So the writer and artist is Alexandre Ristorcelli. Original story, Laurent Genefort. I don't know what that means. I, I guess Laurent Genefort created the original story and then he wrote it. I, I don't know how that works. Okay, it is a sci-fi mystery. It is an eco-thriller, romance, adventure. It has all those things. It is a mature comic. It's a hardcover, 120 pages, 25 bucks. But you get a discount through Deep Discount Comics. And it says, through the branches of the gigantic world tree, Pyrig, I guess, Pyrig? I don't know how you say his name. Searches for the source of the malevolence that poisons the sap. So the colossal branches of the world tree are home to many diverse clans of people, each living among their tier. When Pierre, a sap diviner, so a diviner, you're like, what the heck, what the heck is a diviner? Similar to like people who say they can divine water, gold. <laughs> they walk around two little metal, metal sticks, uh, metal devices, and when they cross, oh, there's water underground. Who knows? I, I think it's nonsense. But this guy's a sap diviner. He can tell where the sap is in a tree. Is He is captured by the Bellicose clan for his rare skills. He learns that the world tree is dying, and its nourishing sap, the fuel for each of these communities, is being poisoned. Accompanied by three warriors, Pierre is forced to trace the origin of the evil that is eating away at the plant titan through each of its levels, and down to the very base, if necessary. But along his journey, issues deeper than the root of the sickness begin to surface, putting everything Pierre knew to be true into question. So it says it's an oversized format to immerse yourself in the wild, luscious world drawn by masterful hand Restorcelli. And if you flip the page, 
There's some beautiful work that you can see. It, so you're going to get beautiful art. Everything that's from your European comics, you seem to get really beautiful art. And I, I agree with them on the oversize. When I get these oversized hardcovers from Humanoids, they're pretty big. They're much wider than a American book. They're taller and wider. They're very big. And the price is not bad. So th- this is good material. I haven't been disappointed with really any of them that I picked up from Humanoids or Magnetic Press when I've gotten the, these books. So I'm definitely going to check this one out. And if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. On to my next pick. It's Brawlinator again. I am in the Mad Cave. Actually, I saw two uh, titles from Mad Cave this month that I wanted to mention. Uh, this first one is on page 365. It's Hunt, Kill, Repeat. The art looks great. It's uh, written by Mark London, um, and I'm just going to read the solicit. It's Kill Bill meets Clash of the Titans in an all-new action-packed series by Mark London. When Greek gods invade Earth, society is quickly forced to comply with their new rulers. So basically, the Greek gods have taken over modern Earth. However, one god, Artemis, rejects her brethren's ideology and finds solace in the love of a mortal. But when she is called to Olympus to answer for her betrayal, the gods strip away her godly powers and leave her for dead. And now, ten years later, Artemis is on a quest for revenge to confront her father Zeus for taking away everything she ever loved. To me, this looks great. It sounds like a fun premise, action, adventure, Greek gods. Check it out for yourself. It's on page 365. It's called Hunt, Kill, Repeat, number one. And Brawlinator, again, my next solicit here is on page 366 in the Mad Cave. And this is from, uh, this is by writer-artist Stefano Cardioselli. Uh, with colors by Dan Lee. This is a series set in the future in which the earth is no longer habitable, uh, follows a toxic waste cleanup crew who start disappearing with no explanation. It's called Don't Spit in the Wind. And I don't know if you, you know what that means, but it's to do something totally pointless or fruitless or futile. I think the first time I ever heard that uh, euphemism was in the song Don't Mess Around with Jim back in the early 70s by Jim Croce. You don't spit in the wind. But Mad Cave, uh, this art looks like James Stokoe art. I mean, it's really interesting looking artwork and colors. Let me read the solicit for Don't Spit in the Wind, number one. In the distant future, humanity has escaped the shell of what was once a lush, beautiful earth that has instead been left a dumping ground full of trash, smog, and pollution. One man's trash is another man's living. Since earth became inhospitable, humanity escaped ages ago to live in a space station floating above the atmosphere. Now, Travis and his crew of garbage men are tasked with cleaning up mountains of toxic waste, working for a company called Atomic Bros Incorporated to create a clear world. But when one of Travis's crew members goes missing near an old nuclear facility, Travis's job becomes a bit more complicated. Now, this is the first creator-owned series to come out of Mad Cave Studios. It's also the first series for the publisher from Stefano uh, Cardicelli, who is actually a frequent heavy metal magazine contributor. He has done a variant cover for Legacy of Violence before for Mad Cave. As soon as you see this artwork, you are going to think heavy metal uh, right away. So if you're a fan of heavy metals, that sort of uh, European uh, art style that some of us are very fond of, uh, check this out. Again, it is on page 366. It is called Don't Spit in the Wind, number one from Mad Cave Studios. 
Brawlinator again. My final pick this month is on page 415, and this is about one of those really unique, little-known books that you may or may not have heard of, but if you never heard of it before, or maybe you heard of it once, this is going to take you back. Uh, Jack Kirby fans know that Tomorrow's is pretty much the go-to source on the king of comics. Uh, whether it's Jack Kirby Collector or just some of their history books. But now they have added a new one to their library. It is the Destroyer Duck Graphite Edition. So this is uninked pencil art collected for this new book. It is the Destroyer Duck Graphite Edition. This was a, a sort of a joint with Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby back in the 80s when Gerber was embroiled in a lawsuit against Marvel Comics over ownership of his Howard the Duck creation. And in order to raise funds for his legal fees, Gerber asked his friend Jack Kirby to contribute a benefit comic titled Destroyer Duck. And without hesitation, Kirby, uh, who coincidentally was in his own dispute with Marvel Comics at the same time, donated his services for the first issue. And the duo took aim at their former employer in what turned out to be an outrageous five-issue run. I actually think it went seven issues, but Kirby stopped after the fifth issue. It's got biting satire, guns a-blazing, it's Duke Destroyer Duck battling a, the thinly-veiled God Corp whose infamous credo was grab it all, own it all, drain it all. And so you could tell they were uh, it was pointed directly at Marvel, which I'm sure things haven't changed now that they're owned by Disney. It's evil leader Ned Packer and the literally spineless Booster Cogburn and Medea, which was a parody of Daredevil's Electra and much more. I mean, it's, it's really just very salty Marvel Comics satire. Uh, and now all five of the Kirby issues, the Gerber Kirby issues, are now collected in this, but they have been relettered and reproduced from Jack's pencil art. Uh, and there's some select examples of Alfredo Alcala's unique inking style over Kirby in the original issues. Some of Kirby's script pages. There's a introduction by Mark Evanier, who was the co-editor of the original 80s issues. I think these came out on e Eclipse, if I recall right. Lots of hidden jabs in here that you might have missed. But this is 128 pages. It is a hardcover coming out. Uh, I think that's in March. Uh, yeah, and it is um, from uh, Tomorrow's. Again, uh, this looks great if you're a Jack Kirby fan or a, a, a Howard the Duck or you just like some good jabs at Marvel. Uh, check out uh, Destroyer Duck, the Graphite Edition over on page 415. Then um, that's it for me. Uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for putting up with me this time. I can't wait to hear everybody's selections. Hope you guys will join us in the Slack channel and on our uh, monthly or semi-monthly or bi-weekly book club. Just check that out on the Slack channel and join us sometime. Thanks, everyone. Billy Hogan again. My final pick from the January 2023 previews comes way back on page 416 from Tomorrow's Publishing with back issue number 143 with various writers and artists and the cover is by the late, great Neil Adams. A special tribute issue to the late, great Neil Adams, 1941 to 2022, celebrating his Bronze Age DC Comics contributions. In-depth Batman and Superman interviews, Green Lantern, Green Arrow 50 years later, Neil Adams under the radar, Continuity Associates, A Rough Stuff Pencil Art Gallery, Power Records, and more. Representing Adam's iconic cover art to Batman number 227, scheduled to be in shops on May 10th.
for the cover price of ten ninety five. As much as I love Tomorrow's Publishing and all of their issues and books that they publish to explore the long history of comic books, I don't always get anything that they publish every month because of the cover price. But I couldn't resist this issue to honor the late Neil Adams. I loved his work back then when I was growing up in the uh, 70s. And the cover to Batman number 227 reminds me a lot of some of the vintage Detective Comics covers from the early years of Batman stories in the 1940s. So I'm looking forward to reading back issue number 143. Thank you, John, for providing this forum so that we can all express our enthusiasm for the comic book medium. And I would like to thank everyone else who submitted clips, and I look forward to listening to what everyone else is going to be reading from the January previews. Hey, this is James back with another pick in the back half of previews. I'm over on page 432 in Whatnot. The new publisher that's printing Heavy Metal, <laughs> yeah, Heavy Metal Magazine, which I am going to be getting from them. There's issue two that's in this month's previews. Uh, and I, I talked about their Liquid Kill comic in the last preview spotlight. But they're getting some interesting things. It's it's kind of cool. But over here on page 432, we have a, a comic called Astrobots. It's a five-issue limited series. The writer is Simon Furman and Aaron Thomas. The artist is Hector Trunek. Okay. 24 pages. It says it's all ages sci-fi action. And the thing that's cool about it being all ages is you can read this with your kids, I'm thinking. And it says on here, all over this, retailer, you know, new toy line coming soon. Every page, there's a new toy line. There's a new toy line. I don't know what these toys are. You flip two pages over to 435, you get, I guess, examples of what the toys will look like. And you can buy the toys. I don't know when they're coming. I will not be purchasing them, but over on page 436 and 437, they have preview art, and that's what made me possibly want to sample this book, because the art is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's way better than the toy, in my opinion. So the art looks really cool. It's five-issue miniseries. All right, let's tell you what in the heck this thing's about. It says, Simon Furman, writer of the original Transformers comic and creator of Marvel's Death's Head has teamed up with heavy metal artist Hector Trunick, and I'll tell you, the art is fantastic, to create an all-new mech, mecha masterwork based on the toy lines designed by Aaron Thomas. So that's why Aaron Thomas is on here. He designed the toys. Pathfinders, pioneers, breaking new ground in the furthest reaches of the galaxy, they are astrobots. The clock is ticking for planet Earth, and the race is on to find a new world capable of sustaining human life. Now sophisticated machine lifeforms called Astrobots are dispatched to scout far-flung worlds in the hope of crafting a new home. With food and raw materials running out and climate disasters escalating, the evacuation of the entire human population is the only slender hope remaining. On Colony World 1, a catastrophic power struggle forges a new all-Astrobot society. And presiding over this nascent civilization is Atlas, an evolved mech with a future-proof plan. A plan that does not include humankind. Sounds like it could be really cool. Like I said, it's all ages, so it's not going to be something that's going to be offensive. If you're into mechs, you might like it. I just saw the art, and they said they're using the heavy metal artist. And instead of just saying, hey, th this is whatnot. Instead of just saying, hey, you know, give us your, 
your one-eighth of a story and we're going to stick five or six pages in our magazine every month. There's nothing wrong with that. In addition, we're going to give you more work and we're creating these other books and the artists have more outlet and can probably make more income. So it's kind of cool. So the artist steps over, he does his heavy metal story and then he's coming over here and he's creating an all-ages story and the art's fantastic. I'm probably going to pick it up and check out an issue or two, see if I like it, and then we'll go from there. But whatnot is uh, coming out with some interesting things. So uh, I'm interested and I'm on board for right now. On to my next pick. Hey, this is James back, and this one's going to be my final pick. I'm back back here in the, the manga section. I'm on page 468 in the Viz section, where I am looking at Alice in Borderland, Volume 5, story and art by Hiro Aso. And this story is about a guy named Arisu who goes to Borderland with some friends. I'm not going to spoil what's going on in here, but basically people who are unhappy with life. Uh, so like discontented, you know, not not happy. And, and certain circumstances happen. They see some fireworks and boom, and they appear in this place, Borderland. I'm not going to go into <laughs> the ending in the uh, Netflix series because that might that'll probably spoil it. I, I'm trying not to give too much away. But Arisa and his friends are in Borderland. What happens in Borderland, they show up. They're in the streets of Tokyo. It's completely barren. It's completely empty. They're looking around. Nobody's there. That would freak you out. You're in a city of like 25 million people, and then you go to the same city, and it's empty. Some parts of the city are overgrown with plants. They see a building light lit up. They walk towards the building. They kind of bypass a little laser reader as they're walking in. There's a little phone. Pick me up. They pick it up. Next thing you know, oh, this game's four of clubs. Like, game? Four of clubs? What is this? And they're in a in a game. And so there's different games. Spade games, club games, heart games. Heart games mess with your mind, mess with your heart. Spade games are, are physical, very physical things. And so people become specialists in different types of games. And you pass a four of clubs game, you get a four-day pass on your visa to live in Borderland and survive another day. Your visa runs out, you decide not to play in one of the games, which you couldn't die in these games, and they're, they're very dangerous games. A laser shoots from the sky and shoots right through the middle of your head. You're dead because your visa expired. So the people are compelled to play the games. So anyways, the, the manga is fantastic. It is a shonen manga, which is like I don't know what you would call teenage boys, not not complete adults. So there's there's no nudity, there's no sex in there, there's death, there's I guess some violence, but I wouldn't say it's too too graphic. It's a little bit graphic, but not too graphic because of it's shonen. But it is a fantastic read. It, it's what I would what I would call it is almost like survival horror, but it's not that horrific. Although some things that happen in it are horrific, but it's put in these intense moments and having to survive and puzzles and figure them out. So as you're reading the book, you're trying to figure out the puzzle along with Arisu or whoever his friends are that are playing the game. As you get into it, I'm not going to tell you too much about dealers and face cards and things like that. But what I will say is there is a Netflix series. It is live action. Season two came out. Season two, I believe, is the final season unless they're going to do the spinoffs with the manga. And then there may be a season three because they leave season two open where there could be more or it could be the end, the end. And that we don't know. If you are not interested in reading manga, or I would recommend you watch the Netflix series, Alice in Borderland on Netflix. You can watch the first two seasons. It's 10 episodes each. It, my wife loved it. It's fantastic. If you enjoy that, 
read the manga because the manga gives you more depth because they leave out some of the games. They leave out some stuff because budgetary reasons. You know, you can't have every game that they show in the, the manga series be in these Netflix series where they have to conform to a TV budget. But it's been fantastic. I love it. I'm going to keep shouting it out every time there's a new issue in this. They put on here that it's mature, but I think it was in a shonen, so it's not too extreme. These are double-sized manga Takuban, so it is $27, or no, I'm sorry, $20, that's the Canadian price of 3D, 19 but you're getting 344 pages, so basically like two big volumes stuck together. So with, with this volume 5, you're up, actually up to volume 10 if they're in individual volumes. Pick it up, fantastic stuff. If you watch the Netflix series, still read the book. I'm still reading the book, even though I watch the Netflix series. You'll, you'll get more out of it by doing that. It's kind of like watching Game of Thrones and never having read the book. You get way more out of Game of Thrones if you read the book as well as watch a TV series. It just has more meaning. They're leaving so much stuff out. And one other thing, don't forget Fist of the North Star Volume 8 hardcover on there. I'm going to be reading that too. <laughs> yeah, I haven't started reading it, but I bought all the hardcovers. So I'm going to be reading it. Hey, I wanted to thank John for hosting this, for doing all the editing. I want to thank everyone who sends in their picks. I really appreciate the listeners who do send in picks for the preview spotlight. It helps me pick up new things and helps me find things that I may have otherwise missed. So until next month, I'll see you guys on the Slack channel. Bye. I hope everybody found something of interest in the pre-order catalogs this month. I want to thank Billy, James, Brawlinator, Nicholas, and Mo for sending in clips. Now, the preview spotlight has an open submission policy. Anyone and everybody can send in clips. And I'd love to get some more voices and opinions in these episodes. We had plenty of clips this time around, but we only had five people send in clips. Sending in a clip is as easy as recording something on your smartphone and just sharing it with me through email or what have you. There's a couple of different ways to do it. It's not hard. You don't have to send in a bunch of clips. A single clip is fine. Again, I'd like to get more voices, more opinions, more different tastes in comic books represented. Let's get some people recommending some manga or, you know, other things that, you know, maybe I'm not into and stuff, but some of the listeners would be. The deadline for the preview spotlight is the second Saturday of the month. You can always check the main page of the comicbookpage.com website for the latest information on the deadlines and to sign up for email reminders. And if you need help figuring out how to record and send in clips, please reach out via email, the forum, or the Slack channel. I'm here to help, as are other listeners. The deadline for preview spotlight number 183 covering the February solicitations will be that second Saturday of February, which is February 11th, and the deadline is 9 a.m. So please, send in a clip, and if you can't do it next month, try the month after or the month after. You don't need to send one in each and every month, but I'd love to get a lot more listeners engaged in sharing what they're interested in, because that also helps James and I figure out what comics should we be talking about on the monthly comic spotlight, or doing back issue spotlights on, or maybe reading ourselves if we're not already reading them. So, with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.